We are going to be in Hebrews uh, this morning. We are finishing up a series that we've been in for some time. So if you've been coming for a while, uh, you, are, um, you, you know this, but if you're just kind of joining us, it's okay. You're just joining us toward the end of this study. And so if you need that table of contents, find the book of Hebrews. It's toward the very end, and we are in chapter 13 this morning. And I want to kind of set it up for us as I can. You know, a lot of times as we walk through Scripture, one of the things that we like about kind of walking through Scripture verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, is that it, we kind of get to come across all sorts of different topics, like things that I may or may not have chosen or things that we may or may not have um, picked as, as the thing, you know, but we don't kind of just go to the faves or, or avoid the tough ones or anything like that. But there is a story that kind of goes together, or there's a theme that's developed as you study the Scripture. That's what's so great about, for us, it's been, um, I think this is week 18 that we've been in the book of Hebrews, and we're wrapping it up. Next week's going to be our final week. But as we come to the end of this letter, or what we've said before, is this may have even been originally kind of presented as a sermon, that there's just some kind of like housekeeping business, some like words of, of kind of challenge and encouragement that the author, that the writer needs to give to the people. These would have been things that were on his heart that would have been uh, necessary for the church to hear. And so as we now read them today, it might seem like a little bit of a disjointed list for us. Uh, we're going to talk about five different things this morning. And they're all like some of them are kind of related, but there's like five different topics that we're looking at. But here's the good news in saying that is I know that God has something for each of us here this morning. Like at least one of these five, if, I mean, maybe all five, but like at least one of these five is going to hit you in an area that you need to be connected with, right? That you need to hear from the Lord on. And my, it's my belief that God has some words of wisdom, some words of correction, some words of encouragement for us this morning in these things. And if I could, I'd like to kind of frame these five kind of unique things up under one sort of um, unifying heading. And that is this, that we're going to see what it looks like to follow Jesus every day. What does it look like to follow Christ every day? See, one of the things that I think sometimes happens in our walks, in our faith, and in, in, in following Jesus is we think that it's something that kind of turns on and turns off, right? When we're in certain places, maybe it's when you're here, maybe it's when you're with certain people, Right, it's it's easy or kind of more um, more important that you follow Jesus. But then other places, maybe it's at your job, maybe it's at your school, maybe it's at you know with a certain group of friends or whatever it might be that it's like ah, less important. Or worse, I, I kind of wonder sometimes, or I you know, are there parts of our life that we allow Jesus to speak into, and that we're really helpful to hear His word on this? But then there's other things that we're like, yeah, I'd rather not kind of hear what what, what He has to say about that. Right? So what we're talking about is what does it look like to let Jesus into every part, every area of our life, and to follow him every day in all things. And so this is not by any sense an exhaustive list, but this is a list that the, the hearers, the original recipients of this needed to hear. And I believe that there are things for us today that we too need to hear along these five things. Let me pray and then we're going to read our passage together and then walk our way through it. Let me, let me just ask God to help us now as we study his word. God, we come before you and we ask humbly, Lord, that you would teach us. And God, we ask that you would show us what you would have for us this morning. And God, as I just said, I, I believe that you have something for us specifically, Lord, that there's one of these things that we need to maybe grow in, return to, 
God, maybe there's some change that's needed. God, would you give us ears to hear, hearts to be receptive to what you would have for us this morning. God, we see and recognize these as your words, and Lord, we want to hear from you in them. And so, God, we pray that you would teach us as we study together. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's look at our passage together. I'll put it on the screen so you can uh, follow along. But again, I love it when you have it in your hands so you can uh, look at your copy. It says this, beginning of verse 1, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Again, we see this kind of like list, but these would have been things that the people of God needed to hear. These are things that we need to hear, and so let's walk our way through it. The first is this, uh, kind of five ways that we are following Christ. The first is follow Christ by loving the church. Follow Christ by loving the church. And let me kind of unpack my word there for it. I say the church, and some of our minds go to a building, an organization, a program. Um, you sort of pictured city on a hill, kind of generally speaking, but it's so much more specific than that. Look at the words here of Scripture, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Um, you guys know some Greek, and you may not even know it, but the word that's used there is the word Philadelphia, right? We have a city that's named Philadelphia. It's known as the city of Brotherly love, right? Okay, so that's exactly what this is. It says, let brotherly love continue. What is brotherly love? Brotherly love is like family love. It's, 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 it's love that exists between family members. And I think we would all acknowledge that there's something special about the bond or relationship with family. Like you might not even have a great relationship with your brother or with your sister, but but there's a, a unique kind of piece of love toward them um, that, that you have. And that's sometimes what makes it so hard to have broken relationships because it's like that care, that kind of love in the family. And so when I say kind of the, the, the application piece that I would say is that we're being called to, it says let brotherly love continue. That is the love for the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ. That is love for your family of believers here. And I think that's a helpful distinction that, that when we think of church, we don't think of a building, program, whatever, we think of the people, right? The church is made up with people. Um, I can't remember, man, my, my years kind of blend together, but, but there's this like little kid thing, you know, that maybe you did this, like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, see all the people, like, you ever do that, right? Like, but like, this isn't the church, okay? This is the church, like inside, the people are the church. And so the church is made up of people. Like we don't need a building to have a church. We don't even need like necessarily a name, although it's super helpful. Like, you know, like what, what are we talking about here? Like we need, we need something, but it's, it's made up of the people. Okay, so all of that to just say that, that this is what the first encouragement, the first call to action here is let brotherly love continue. The idea here is that it exists in the church and the author is saying, don't stop, keep going, right? Keep after it. Why is that? 
Well, because I, I think that, that sometimes love is really easy at the beginning, right? Uh, as you kind of watch, if, 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 you were, if you're married, like you maybe remember those early years, certainly there was some, you know, conflict, I'm sure, that came up, but there's also like just this affection and this love that's sort of fresh and new and, and, and you know, there's like, but over the years, it's like it takes a little bit more kind of effort or work or, or, or there's, you know, a different kind of feeling that comes along with that. I think the same is true in the church. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica and Thessalonians, he said, um, he said, like, you loved at the beginning, like you did well to love at the beginning, keep doing that. But the idea for us here is that we would not let brotherly love stop, but rather it would continue. And I'm excited, I'm, I'm pleased, when I look at our church, I would say that we have love among each other, that there is brotherly love in this place. Like, you know, I've been to churches, I've even served in churches where that wasn't the case, and there wasn't very much brotherly love. I'm excited because we have that. One of the things that I hear is that as people come in, that they feel welcome, they feel the warmth of kind of what's happening here. But I think in the same way that it says, let brotherly love continue, the same message is so necessary for us today, church, right? That we would continue to love as we are loving. Because what happens over time? Well, over time, you begin to form relationships, and those relationships begin to deepen. Now, pretty soon, you find yourself in a pretty comfortable place where you're like, man, I'm really great with these like seven or eight friends that I've got, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing just fine. And all of a sudden, our focus, rather than kind of outward, goes inward, and, and that's where, what's the word we use? Clicks, right? Like you walk into a place, like oftentimes this even happens in the church where there's like clicks. There's sort of like how do I break into this? It looks like everybody has a best friend. Like, where's the person that doesn't have their best friend? Can I be your best friend? You know, like, you got to try and find the kind of the strays that are sort of not in the different groups. That's not the picture that we have in Scripture. The Scripture is that we would be loving and kind and caring toward one another in this place. And so it says, let brotherly love continue. I think it takes work after time. But here's the motivation, right? Do you remember the words of Jesus? Like, why do we love one another? John 13, 35 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Was a disciple someone who follows me, right? Someone like the world will know, everyone will know that you are following after me, that you're one of my disciples. How? How will they know? If you have love for one another. Let me just ask you, church, how are we doing at that? Like, do people look at the love, the brotherly love, the Philadelphia that exists within the church, and they're like, man, they must have something special going on. That love is not a normal kind of love. Unfortunately, sadly, many times, there's infighting and factions and disagreement and what people see when they look at followers of Jesus is they don't see this brotherly love, they see the opposite. And so church, this is a reminder for us that we would be intentional at going out of our way to show one another's, the one another's that are called in scripture, that we would bear each other's burdens, that we would care for one another, that we would pray with one another. And this takes work. Now, hopefully, because we share this bond in Christ, right, what we have received, you all, if we are in Christ Jesus, this should be that motivation. It's like, man, we are part of the family now. We've been adopted by Jesus, and so it motivates us to love 
one another, but we need to continue. We need to let it continue to happen and go after it. So let me just ask you, how are we doing at this? How are you doing at this? Are you intentional at loving those in the church? You know, oftentimes we think of coming and engaging and, and involving ourselves in things because of what we get, or, but what about if we were to involve ourselves, engage ourselves because of what we can give to those around us? That's the idea here. Let brotherly love continue. Let's look at the second thing. It says in verse two, it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for therefore, uh, thereby some have uh, entertained angels unawares. Here's the second way we follow Christ. It's this, by showing hospitality. Hospitality. The translators are trying to help us out here. It says to show hospitality for strangers. That's kind of unnecessary in the Greek, because in the same way, the word Philadelphia, this is, the author uses a very intentionally similar word. Philadelphia is the love of brothers. Uh, Philoxenia is the love of strangers. And that's what's being said here. It's kind of a second part, right? It's like love for the family, but this is love for strangers. Like people that you don't know too well, people that you don't have a deeper relationship with. And what's it saying? It says, do not neglect... Or remember to do, to show hospitality. Settle down, Siri. She's like yelling at me. I don't know what I did, but she was answering some question I asked at some point there. But here's the thing. It carries the idea of treating a person nobly in the context of your home. It's inviting someone in to joyfully, joyfully seeking to bring that person refreshment. And in the day, so to kind of put it in context, like hospitality was so needed because inns were dirty, they were expensive, and they were often kind of dangerous. Like, like it wasn't a great spot to be. And so one of the things that were happening is that these, in, these hospitalities shown between the church was that if you were to go to another town or go to another, especially if you're carrying the gospel, like, man, I want to tell so-and-so about Jesus, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to travel there, and I need to stop at these towns along the way. The idea was, well, don't stay in an inn. Like, find other believers, and they'll welcome you into their home. And so he's saying, don't neglect to show love to strangers, hospitality to strangers. And I think hospitality sort of gets like um, kind of uh, maybe synonymous with, or we sort of think of entertaining, right? If I'm going to show hospitality, I got to entertain. I don't know how it works in your house. We've got like three different levels of dishes, right? We've got paper plates. We use a lot of paper plates, all right? When you have seven, seven mouths, like that's just like, you know, our dishwasher already runs twice a day without having, you know, all of that. So I feel like we're kind of constantly, so we go through some paper plates. You know that you're like part of the family if you come over and you're like eating on paper plates with us. And that's not that uncommon. Like probably your first time over, we're having paper plates, okay? I know some of you hate paper plates. I'm sorry. Um, you can send me angry texts or emails or whatever. That's fine. But we use paper plates. Then there's like the next level is like we have these kind of plasticky plates, but they, um, they look like glass, but they're not. They're plastic. We have kids. And so um, they're, they're, um, they're, they're, they're kind of the plastic plates. And then we have like our, our glass plates. Now, they're not China by any stretch. Like it's, it's not like super nice or anything. But like if we put those on the table, the kids would walk in. They'd be like, whoa, what's going on? Right? Like what's the occasion? Right? Who, who's coming over? Like what are we doing? Like why are there glass plates on the table? You know, they're getting excited. And I think sometimes we think of hospitality as like busting out the glass plates. Now, I'm not saying that hospitality isn't busting out the glass plates. I mean, maybe go over the top, do that. But it's not about that. It's not about putting on the show or breaking out the nice china or all of that. Like, it is about showing people love in your home. 
And this is a principle, this is a truth that doesn't have, like, you don't have to be at a certain, like, you know, square footage in your home to do this. You don't have to be married to do this. You don't have to, like, you know, be a great cook to even do this. Like, you can show people hospitality. You can invite them into your home, and, 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 and anyone can do this. But I think sometimes we relegate it to the people that have the, have you heard of this, the gift of hospitality, Right? In the same way, though, that the gift of evangelism doesn't mean that only some evangelize, the gift of hospitality doesn't mean that some are hospitable, right? That show hospitality. Let me show you some verses. Romans 12, 13 says this, speaking to the church, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling and 1 Timothy 3, 2, this is a qualification. It's a necessity. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he has to be hospitable. It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, here it is, hospitable, and able to teach. Right? Like, we are called to be hospitable to one another. So I wonder, when's the last time that you had some stranger in your home? Some of you, maybe you took to heart the kind of summer supper challenge. We've had over 115 summer suppers, right? Like, that's a great start. That's a really good, like, beginning to this. But it's, it's even so much more than that. It's showing that hospitality, that love within your home. And some of you have invited over friends, neighbors, uh, people that you didn't necessarily know. This stranger piece, that's the, that's the idea, is that it's people that you don't really know that you're gonna to get to know and you're gonna treat them and show them with this kind of love. Listen, this is not just for within the church. This is a way to make gospel inroads. You can show and demonstrate Christ to people in the context of your home in a way that you can't anywhere else. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe somebody's invited you into their home and, and upon getting into their home and seeing their life, you all of a sudden you're, you have this relationship on a deeper level. You know them in a deeper way and you can see Christ more clearly in them once you are in their home, right? Like we are called to do this. And so it says, don't neglect. Don't neglect to show hospitality. What's that second part? It says, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I think that's kind of looking back to Abraham who invited people to, into his tent. Like he, he gave a meal and found out later that they were angels that he was actually with. The idea is that you don't know what blessing, what kind of opportunity you're going to have. That you might, by inviting people into your home, you might actually even invite in an angel. It's kind of crazy to think about, right? Some of you maybe are like looking back, like maybe that was an angel, right? Like, I mean, some of us have like experienced that where you're like, I don't know. That person just seemed like there was something kind of unique about them or something like that. Like, doesn't really unpack it a whole lot more. It's just saying he knows their excitement about angels and he's like, listen. This is, it's not the motivation for, but it's a potential blessing of doing that. And so we follow Christ by showing hospitality. How are we using our home or stewarding the other things that God has given us to show care and concern for one another? Let's keep going on. Let's look at verse three. It says, remember those who are in prison as though we're in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in prison the body. Here's the third way is that we follow Christ by caring for those who are suffering for the gospel. Whereas hospitality would be people that maybe show up on your doorstep, right? Or show up in a need. This is us seeking people out who need some care and love and concern. 
It says, remember those who are in prison. The idea kind of in the context would have been those who are not, not just like any criminal, although certainly prison ministry, caring for those in that spot, that's a valuable, needed ministry. But specifically, this is saying, remember those who are in prison for their faith, right? That because of their boldness in sharing the gospel, the truth of Jesus, they've been in prison or they're being mistreated. Remember is like the idea of keeping them in front of you, like, like keeping them on your minds, not just like thinking about them, but then actively as a result of that, caring for them. Those who are mistreated. See, the reason or the motivation is found there at the end. It says, since you are in the body, because you are in the same body, you need to care for them. Let me ask you this. When you um, injure or stub like one of your toes, how does the rest of your body respond? Right? Like all of you feels it, right? Like I, 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 a couple of weeks ago on vacation, I, I, uh, uh, we were rafting together as a family and, and my toe got kind of wedged between one of the things and I kind of twisted it in a weird way. It was super black and blue. And let me just tell you, it was the only thing that I was like thinking about. Like I would, when I'd wake up, like I'd put my shoes on and I'd like walk and, and like the whole, my whole body was kind of like compensating for this, this one little teeny part of my, you know, the body that was like hurting. I'd get in bed and try and like, I could not find a comfortable way to let the, the kind of blanket rest on my foot, like for, for, for about a week, it was just, it was all I could think about was, man, my toe, like I, you know, and every time something, hey, watch the kids would come in, like, hey, look out for my toe, like just so many times. And that's like, because why? When one part of the body is hurting, the entire body responds. What he's saying is, listen, you are, don't you know that you are members, bodies, part of the same body? First Corinthians 12, 26 says this, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So if part of our body is hurting, then we respond to that. We don't just ignore that or be like, ah, oh, you figure it out, little toe, right? Like, good luck with that. Like, let us know when you're healthy. The idea is that part of our body is suffering, it's hurting. And so we need to remember. We need to remember those who are suffering for the gospel. And here's the thing, for us living here, in Dane County, in the year 2023, like we have to actively seek this out, right? Like you, you do not have these types of encounters or these situations in your neighborhood or happening in like kind of your sphere immediately around you. You have to like find, but, but, but make no mistake, there are tens and thousands, hundreds of thousands of believers who are suffering for their faith today. Some of them are imprisoned even today. Right, that they are being persecuted because of their faith today. This is actively happening all over this world. And so how do we respond, church? Well, we do the same thing. We remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. We have to seek out these stories, and then we have to act and respond to them. I want to share with you one story just to kind of give you an example of, um, of this. This week, actually, kind of the timing was kind of crazy, but I got a call last week um, or about a week and a half ago about, hey, do you want to meet this couple? They're, they're doing ministry. They were in a closed country for a while, and they're doing some ministry. Well, do you want to hear their story and what God is doing? And so I met with them this last, um, this last week on uh, Thursday morning and heard the story about this very thing that we're talking about right here today. And there's actually a video that tells their story. And so as I met with this couple and, and kind of thought about this passage, I'm like, man, I want to just put, this is an example. This is a story of, of how God is uh, working through um, just people that he's calling to himself and using them as they're sharing the gospel. So this is just an example of um, 
way that uh, a family experienced not prison, but certainly mistreatment, right? They had to pack up their, uh, their family and, and move their, uh, their home um, away for uh, sharing the gospel uh, in a place where that's not welcomed to do so. And I think, you know, when it says, remember those who are in prison and those who are mistreated, if our minds are uh, put toward them, then, then there's a response that happens. You know, I think one of the questions is, well, how do I, how do I then respond? Like, what do, I, what do I then do? And I think there's a few ways that we can respond. I think we can pray for them, certainly. Like, that's something you can do today. You can pray, even for the Capo family. You can pray for, for them and what God is doing uh, through them. I mean, now, what a cool opportunity, right? He's used this opportunity of six years of building relationships and kind of learning the culture and language and all of that. Now, they're getting to minister to those in a much freer context, and they're seeing just this incredible fruit already. This is super fresh. This just happened. Like, they just, in January, uh, moved to, uh, to Spain. And so, um, you can pray for uh, families like this or others that are in these countries still and, and in this place. But you can, um, you can give uh, to that. You can find opportunities and ways to give. You could, if any of you are interested and you want to support this kind of multicultural center that they're building and, and kind of supporting and encouraging them, you certainly could do that. I have some information that I could give you. Just shoot me an email or find me afterwards and I can kind of point you in the right direction for, uh, for that. But you can even go as well. Um, there's opportunities even through them if you want to go um, and, and minister um, there in Spain with them on a short-term trip. Um, you know, we could do this as a church. We could do this just as individuals. But there's, there's just tons of opportunities like that. One place I direct you towards is uh, the Voice of the Martyrs for a long time has done a good job of capturing some of the stories and helping to bring awareness of some of our brothers and sisters that are, are, are suffering for the gospel. Um, and so if you go to persecution, I believe it's .com or .org or maybe both, um, but uh, if you go to there, you can um, uh, see and hear um, some of the stories and ways that are helping and some things that you can then do about it. But I think if we pray, if we give, if we go, like there are opportunities that we have to, to do this. And so again, I said at the beginning, I said, I think there's something for every one of us in this together. So my question is, is like, yeah, what is God stirring in your heart? How do you need to respond? Like, how are you going to remember those who are in prison and those who are being mistreated? Maybe this is the thing that God is saying, listen, this, is, this isn't something that you often think about. And if you are, if that's you, I would just encourage you, the very first step would be to begin to pray about that and to just put them in front of your mind, remember uh, them um, in that way. Let's continue on and look at the, uh, the next one. This kind of goes in a little bit of a different direction. But again, these all kind of fall under that heading of what does it look like to follow Christ? And it says this, verse 4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Uh, fourth, we follow Christ by honoring marriage. We honor marriage. Um, it says there, it says, Let marriage be held uh, in honor by all. And if we're going to hold marriage in honor, I think we need to define uh, what marriage is, right? Today, uh, marriage has a bunch of definitions or kind of might look at a lot of different ways. It, it did back then as well. Um, at, at worst, I think you could say today that, that it's sort of seen as a provisional arrangement between two people, right? Like marriage is just a provisional arrangement between two people. It can be dissolved at any time for uh, any reason. But what it's saying here is that we need to let marriage be held in honor. And, and what it's talking about is God's idea, God's version of marriage. And so where do we learn about that? Where do we see that? Well, we, we learn about God's version of marriage and, and, and really is the version of marriage, right, here in his word. 
And throughout this, like marriage is mentioned from uh, the very first uh, book all the way to the end, we see, um, we see illusions and, and examples and teaching about marriage. And scripture, scripture teaches that a biblical marriage is this. Um, it is uh, between one man and one woman for a lifetime. And I know even in saying those words, that's something that is very much at odds with this climate and culture that we find ourselves here today. It was then too. But Scripture teaches that. That's the picture that we see throughout uh, Scripture. Uh, Genesis 2, 24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, Matthew 19, 6 says, So they no longer are two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined, let man not separate. Jesus himself honored marriage, have you ever thought about this, by performing his first miracle. Where did he perform it? It was at a wedding, right? It was at a Jewish wedding. And so he's honoring marriage in that way. They're participating in it. On the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus uh, was there as well. And Jesus did this miracle for his mom there at a wedding. Ephesians 5, I just want to read the last uh, part for you. But it says, in the same way um, as Christ loves the church, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. One of the lines that I love to be able to say at all of the weddings that I've been able to um, officiate or kind of stand, I just got an opportunity a couple weeks ago to, to do that as well, but I, I, I say this, I say that, that, that marriage is meant to be the clearest earthly representation of Christ's relationship with the church. Because what did Christ do for the church? Well, he died and gave himself up for it. What does the church do with Christ? Christ is com- the church is committed and submissive and, 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 and following and engaging and embracing. And there's love between both Christ and the church. The marriage is meant to be that. And here's the thing is that I know I need to say this and kind of unpack this. If I'm trying to be a loving, caring pastor for, for you, for our church, is like these are words that need to be said. Because I believe that we have long, not just society, but the church is moving away from a biblical definition of marriage. Again, marriage is one man, one woman for a lifetime. That's what marriage is. It's not anything else. And again, we would say that it's so much else. So then what does it say? If we're honoring marriage, what do we do? That, that means to like, treat it as precious, right? So this is not just for married people, single people as well. Marriage is not the end-all, be-all, like goal of life, right? It's a blessing. It's a gift for sure. Some, though, some, though, are not called to it, but like marriage is meant to be this. It's meant to be this. But it doesn't say that. It says, let marriage be held in honor and the marriage bed be undefiled. Because marriage is so special, marriage bed is something that's special as well. What is the marriage bed? Well, that's a euphemism, right, obviously, for sexual relationships within marriage. And it's meant to be held in such a way of honor, but undefiled. Why? Because God deals with sexual immorality and adultery. Sexual sin matters to God. And all that engage will be, give account for that. Just to be clear, adultery is anything that's sex outside of marriage. 
extramarital sexual relationships. Sexual morality is any other sexual relationships other than a man and woman in a committed marriage relationship. Right? So any perversion, pornography, anything like that would fall under that category. What is it saying here that these people, that anyone who would be this, right, that, that engages in this, that they are uh, far from God and unable to return to him? No way. But what it is saying is that it matters to God and that he deals with it. 1 Corinthians, Paul writing to the church says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived that neither the sexual moral, the adulterers, uh, idolaters, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom uh, um, of God. We read this list and we're like, man, that's like, that kind of sounds like me, right? Like who, who here has not at times been greedy? Who here has not stolen in some way? If we define sexual moral as like lustful thoughts as Jesus did, then, then I think many of us, if not all, would fall under this place. Drunkards, revilers, swindlers. And Paul even says as much. He says in verse 11, he says, such were some of you. Like this is where you came from. This is who you were. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if this is you. What's he saying? He's saying unrepentant sin, no matter if it's sexual in nature or not, any unrepentant sin will be judged by God. But then what's the truth of Scripture? What does it say? It says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. And so I would say, as we kind of come to this verse and we see this in Hebrews, we understand that when he says that he's going to judge the sexually immoral and adulterous, make no mistake, that's not different than any other sin. Unrepentant sin will go punished. But any sin that is repented of and brought before and asked for forgiveness by the blood and power of Jesus will be covered over by Jesus. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he pays for that. So it's not saying that there is no hope, that there is nothing, like if we engage in this. But listen, church, this is far too common within the church. Even the church is, 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 is falling uh, in this place of kind of redefining exactly what is marriage or what, what is sex and how and when does that happen. And I would say, for us, we need to hear from the Lord on this. Have we tried to change or modify the definition and I know I'm saying in, in seven minutes what could be, I mean, we could do a whole series on this. Maybe someday we will. But for today, what I'm saying is that God has a plan. He's the one who instituted marriage. It was his idea, one man, one woman for a lifetime. And we are to hold it in honor. So if you're married, stay married as you're able, right? Commit to your spouse let the marriage bed be undefiled, be pure. If you're not married yet, then you also honor marriage by respecting the marriage bed. Sexual relationship outside of marriage is prohibited. Why? Because it hurts us. See, that's the thing I don't think we think. I think sometimes when we hear God say don't, what we hear is like don't have any fun, right? Or don't do what you want to. Don't do things that are good. What he's saying is, is don't hurt yourself. I've used this illustration many times before. I can't remember if I've used it or when the last time was, but like fire in a fireplace is great, right? Like I, I, we have a fireplace. Love it when the fire is on, cold day, curl up next to that thing, get it like it's, oh man, it's so good. But fire outside of the fireplace, 
Like we had a fire outside of my a fireplace growing up. My house burned down. It causes destruction. Like within the confines, within the, like the protection, under the covenant, lifetime relationship, sex is amazing between a man and woman. Listen, it's not the other way. There were some people that thought that sex was like off limits or somehow bad or defiled. Like sex is God's idea. Like he knows that that's going on, okay? He actually made that. And he's like, this is actually really good. We can study that another time. But like frequent marital sex is actually really good for your marriage. In the confines of marriage, right? In the fireplace. Take it out and it causes destruction and damage. Listen, I say these words in love. I know that it's very hard to utter anything close to this that is actually heard and received in our world today. But I wouldn't be a caring, loving pastor if I didn't. And if anything that I've said is like, man, how can you say that? How can you believe that? What about this? What about that? Can we please have a conversation about that? Can we study this together? Because I believe, church, that if we don't get this, we're going to miss out. It has major implications on the church. I'm watching that happen all over the place. We are called to hold marriage in honor and to let the marriage bed be undefiled. We need to get in line. And so if that is one of you, if you are in this place and you would say, my view of sex, my view of marriage, my view of whatever doesn't line up, God is calling you to repentance, to realign, to come to him and know that there is joy and forgiveness and reconciliation in him. So important that we follow that. Let's wrap things up. Let's look at the last one. I told you we're going to like switch subjects. Like, like, right, you know, so try not to grind the gears here. But here's what we have in verse five. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do for me? These are like seem unconnected, but they are connected, right? Like what would lead a man to go outside of his marriage, what would lead a woman to go outside of her marriage? It would be discontentment. In the same way, what would cause you or I to love money? It would be discontentment with what we have in the Lord. That's what he's saying here. Here's the, the last thing. We follow Christ by being content. We flee covetousness and pursue contentment. Right? He says, keep your life free from the love of money. Here's the thing. Scripture never says that money or wealth is bad or wrong or evil. It can be dangerous, okay? Scripture does show us that. It can be dangerous. Why is wealth dangerous? Well, it's difficult to have it and not trust in it, right? Wealth can be dangerous because mere material possessions tend to focus our thoughts and interest on temporal things, right? I don't know about you, but the more stuff I have, the more stuff I need, Right? Like, well, if I get that, then I gotta get all the accessories to go with it, all that, right? It can enslave is what it does. So it's not forbidding wealth, but what is it forbidding? What is it saying? It's saying the love of money, right? So it's not saying keep your life free from money. It's saying keep your life free from the love of money. So this touches all of us. Whether you have a bunch of zeros in your bank account or, or you're just kind of waiting for that next paycheck, you can still love money just as much. You can love money. And it says, be content with what you have. What do you have? You have Christ Jesus. He's given you himself, right? That is where that contentment happens. And here's the warning that comes with it. It says, you cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. It doesn't say you shouldn't serve two masters. It says you can't. If you love one, you're gonna hate the other. If you hate one, you're gonna love the other. 
to be devoted to the other. You cannot serve God in money, is what Matthew 6 says. And so we have to be very careful here. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Never has enough. Whoever loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. So how do we flee from, how do we keep ourselves free from the love of money? Will we be content with what we have in Christ Jesus? Because in Christ, we understand and know that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise that God gave. And so we can confidently say that the Lord is my helper, right? He provides what I need. He's with me. He knows my needs. And he is working on my behalf. I will not fear. I don't have to wonder what tomorrow will bring. I don't have to wonder what, what, what's going to happen. I can trust in the Lord and what he is doing and what can man do to me. You're like, well, man can do a lot, right? Not eternally speaking. Not eternally speaking. If your hope, if your trust, if your faith is in Jesus, then man can do nothing to you. And so that is how we keep ourselves free from the love of money is we are content in what we have in the gift of Jesus Christ. It's our heart saying he is enough. He has given us enough. True contentment comes from resting in God's grace and his care for us. So how do we follow Christ? We follow Christ by being content. Listen, let me just tell you this. In a sermon like this, with all these kind of action steps. The thing I've said many times before, and you've probably heard me say it, is the last thing I want is for you to come and to leave with another brick in your backpack, right? And so if that's what it feels like today, you came in, your backpack was already heavy, right? You're already kind of lugged down. You're like, man, I just got another brick. Like, there's one more thing I need to do. That's not the idea, right? That's not what God's saying. He's saying, listen, I want to help lighten your load. I want to help lighten your burden. I want to give you grace in this. How do you find that grace? In walking in his steps, right, in his strength, according to his plan, in his ways. And so I would just ask you, I asked you again at the beginning, what of these things, where is the place that God is calling you to set your heart, set your affection on him and to trust that his way, his plan truly is the best? You follow Christ in these ways and you will find Christ in these ways that he has given himself to you and he's calling you to himself and, and we experience and understand his blessings through this. Let's play, pray and then we're gonna respond together. God, we give you thanks and praise for who you are. God, we thank you for the hope, for the joy that we find in Christ Jesus. Lord, and you have not called us to obedience to earn anything from you. Rather, God, you've given us all things in Christ and we obey out of a loving, joyous response to what you've already done in us. God, I pray that you would help us to see and understand your call upon our life in that way. God, would you change our hearts? God, would you show us where in our lives, God, we ask your spirit to move. Lord, and even as I know that we talk about these subjects, particularly, Lord, marriage, particularly even money, God, that this can this can poke, this can pride in sensitive ways. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that there would be clarity in the words that I've spoken here today. God, that we would hear from you on this. Lord, we speak this in, in love. God, we speak this in kindness, knowing that all of us, every single one of us, Lord, is far from you, but for the grace, but for the blood of Jesus. Lord, we've been washed by your blood We've been changed, we've been reconciled. 
And so, God, we respond to you in this way. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. God, would you move and work in our hearts. God, bring us to a greater understanding and awareness. We ask this in the name of your your son, Jesus. Amen.